Would you open God's precious holy word to 1 Samuel? I'm going to read chapter 4 again, and I'm going to read chapter 5 right along with it. This is just a great story. I love it. And it's, it's applicable, it's applicable to the, even the church. Of course, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says that these things are written as examples for you, namely the church. So let's consider these two chapters, this story as it's given here, this account. And I want to bring you a message that I call the heaviness of God. You remember last time, Ellie's uh, daughter-in-law prematurely gave birth to a child. She named it Ichabod. Chabad. The word, and it means departed glory. Ichabad. Chabad means glory. Kabed. And to, to study the word in the Hebrew text, the word also means honor or glory, and it means heaviness, something that's very heavy. So with that in mind, I want to bring you the message that I call the heaviness of God. Just going to read the story straight through both chapters and then I have a few things that I want us to consider from the account that would be meaningful to us today. And Yahweh continued to appear in Shiloh, for Yahweh revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh with the word of Yahweh. I think I started with chapter 3, and now I'm in chapter 4. And the word of Samuel went out to all Israel. Israel went out to war against the Philistines. They encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. And the Philistines arrayed their troops against Israel. And the battle spread and Israel was beaten before the Philistines. And they slew in the battle array in the field about 4,000 men. And the people came to the camp and the elders of Israel said, Why has Yahweh beaten us today before the Philistines? Let us take to us from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of Yahweh. And he will come in our midst and save us from the hand of our enemies. And the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh Tzabayat, or the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. It's the, it's the aggressive military title of Yahweh, who dwells above the Kerubim. And there with the Ark of Elohim's covenant were Eli's two sons, Hophni, and Phineas. Remember, those guys are evil. They are leaders, they're spiritual leaders. And in this particular time, during the era of the judges, Eli was a judge. And that meant that his two sons were important political leaders as well as spiritual leaders. So you had the high priest who studied, who served as a judge, their, their daddy, Eli. And then uh, the two sons who took advantage of their positions in a, in a terrible way. And it was when the Ark of, the, of, of Yahweh's covenant, of the covenant of Yahweh, I 
translated a little different there, came into the camp that all Israel shouted a great shout and the earth stirred. And the Philistines heard the shout, the sound of the shout and they said, what is the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they knew that the ark of Yahweh had come into the camp and the Philistines feared and they said, Elohim has come into the camp and they said, woe unto us for there was nothing like this yesterday and before yesterday. Woe is unto us who will save us from the hand of this mighty Elohim. This is the Elohim who smote the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Now this will be an important thing to remember when we go on into chapter 5, how it came to the mind of the Philistines that God, this God of the Israelites, sent plagues upon the Egyptians. Strengthen yourselves and become men, you Philistines, lest you serve the Hebrews as they served you, and you shall become men and fight. And the Philistines waged war, and Israel was beaten. Second time. And they fled, each man to his tents. Now the blow was very great, and there fell from Israel 30,000 infantrymen. And the ark of Elohim was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, perished. And a man of Benjamin ran from the battle array and came to Shiloh on that day with his garments torn and earth upon his head. He came, and behold, Eli was sitting on the chair beside the road, anxiously waiting for his heart trembled for the ark of Elohim. And the man had come to tell in the city, and the whole city cried out. Now Eli heard the sound of the cry, and he said, What is this confused noise? And the man hurried and came and told Eli, They've taken the ark. The Philistines have taken the ark. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set. He couldn't see. And the man said to Eli, I'm the one who has come from the battle, and I fled from the battle array today. And he said, what happened to my son? And the one who had reported the news answered and said, Israel fled before the Philistines, and also there was a great slaughter among the people. And also your two sons perished, Hophni and Phinehas, and the ark of Elohim was taken. And it was when he mentioned the ark of Elohim that he, that is Eli, fell off the chair backward through the gate opening and his neck broke and he died because the man was old and heavy. <laughs> and he judged Israel for 40 years. His daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child, ready to give birth. She heard the news concerning the taking of the Ark of Elohim and that her father-in-law and her husband had died and she knelt and gave birth for her pains had suddenly come upon her. And about the time of her dying, the women who were standing by her said, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. And she did not answer, neither did she heed. And she called the child Ichabod, saying, Glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of Elohim has been taken, because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, Glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of Elohim has been taken. Now into chapter 5. Now the Philistines had taken the ark of Elohim and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. So now we're in the land of the Ashdodites where the Philistines are. And the Philistines took the ark of Elohim and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it up 
beside Dagon. All right, here's this place where the temple of Dagon is, and there's a shelf. Now, the ark is just a box. That's all it is. It's a box. Box. So they lifted the box, and they put it up on a shelf, and there where Dagon was, set it up beside Dagon as though to say Dagon has defeated Yahweh. So they put it up on the shelf. And the Ashdodites arose early on the morrow, and behold, Dagon was falling face downward to the ground before the ark of Yahweh. They returned him to his place. Okay, so here's the image of Dagon. And it had fallen down face down as though it was worshiping the Ark of the Covenant. So they dusted it off, picked him up, put him back up. So they picked Dagon back up. That didn't look good for him to be on his face before the Ark of Yahweh. And you'll notice here, it had been called the Ark of Elohim, but now in verse 3, it's the Ark of Yahweh. This is the true and living God. They returned him to his place. They arose early the next morning, and behold, Dagon was falling face downward to the ground before the Ark of Yahweh. And Dagon's head and the two palms of his hands were cut off and lying on the threshold, only Dagon's trunk alone remained upon him. So now he's not just on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. This time his, his hands and his head had broken off. So here is, here is a powerless, headless idol before Yahweh. Therefore the priests of Dagon and all those who came to the house of Dagon do not tread upon the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod until this day. So what do you do? Now let me say this. There was a custom in those days in that part of the world when one army defeated another army, the victorious army would send men in to capture the civic leaders, the king, and the spiritual leaders who had been touting the God of the defeated nation and brought them before the king of the victorious nation and in the presence of the people would cut off the hands and the head of the defeated spiritual and civil leaders. So this is, this is not something that to them apparently would have been unknown. They understood what this meant, that the Ark of Yahweh, which represented to their minds Yahweh, the God of Israel, or contained the God of Israel, now has shown that he has defeated Dagon. Now they have the ark. They killed all of those Israelites. 
But here's a box. And the box, which has no hands and no feet, no head, has defeated without an army, without anybody's help, has utterly defeated their God called Dagon. And the hand of Yahweh became heavy. Okay, now there's, there's uh, the word, a, a, a form of the word, the root of that is Chabad, which is part of Ichabod, which in the Chabad means glory or heaviness, honor. Now the hand of Yahweh became heavy upon the Astrodites. They didn't see it. They couldn't see it. It was just a box as far as they knew. And he ravaged them and he smote them with hemorrhoids. Ashdod and its borders. I just love this stuff. <laughs> I, you know, I feel like I'm in biology class and saying words that mother would never let me say. <laughs> I'm a kid. But that is the literal translation. I think that it may say tumors in a secret part or something in the, in the King James. It's a hemorrhoid. And he smote them with hemorrhoids. Ashdod and its borders. I just love this. And the people of Ashdod said, saw them so. So they're, they're walking around. Oh man, we got to do something. And they said, let not the ark of the God of Israel dwell with us, for his hand is severe on us and upon Dagon, our God. <laughs> oh, and they, <laughs> and they sent and gathered all the, now how are they going to explain this to all the leaders? Oh man, <laughs> y'all come on in and sit down. We can't sit down. Now, you know, if the Lord gives you a hemorrhoid, it is a champion hemorrhoid, don't you know? It's incomparable. So they sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them. And they said, what shall we do, do with the ark of the God of Israel? <laughs> Think about this, okay. So let's say this is happening in Somerville. And all of our community leaders, and we're saying, oh man, this is rough. What are we going to do with it? Well, let's send it to Hartzell. That's, you know, it's, it's about what it says here, you know. Who are you going to send it to? Maybe somebody that you really don't like. Not that we don't like Hartzell, but who do you not like? I don't know. Who do you want to have the same suffering that you're having? What are we going to do with it? Let's send it to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel to Gath. And it was after they had brought it around that the hand of Yahweh was upon the city with a great panic. And he smote the people of the city, both young and old, and hemorrhoids broke out in their hidden parts. 
I got to tell you, I'm going to enjoy being in the presence of God. He has a sense of humor. Of all that he could have done, you just have to love this kind of thing. Or not, I don't know. So now they have, look at this, young and old. Mommy, mommy. Well, darling, sooner or later you're going to get them things. So here it is. Now it happens in Gath. And they sent away the ark of Elohim to Ekron. So, so, so the Gath says, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like the people of God were saying, The ark is gone and we want it back. And the people that are the enemies of God are saying, the ark is here and we don't want it. So they sent it to Ekron. And it was that when the ark of Elohim came to Ekron, that the Ekronites cried out saying, they have brought around the ark of the God of Israel to me to kill me and my people. They sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines and they said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its place so that it will not kill me and my people. For there was a panic of death in the entire city. The hand of Elohim was very heavy there. There's that word again, echabed. All right. Remember I told you back in chapter 4 that they remembered the plagues of the Egyptians? They are seeing a plague among their people. They have this box. It's just a box. But they sense death coming upon them. The hand of Elohim was very heavy there. And the people who did not die were smitten with hemorrhoids. And the, and the cry of the city ascended to heaven. First of all, in this story, chapter 4 and 5. The people of God were humiliated. Israel. Humiliated. Think about that. They were, in, they were humiliated because of their own weakness. We studied this last week, but chapter 4, they saw the Ark of the Covenant as a lucky charm. It was a talisman. It was something that they could see. And to them, they could carry God wherever they wanted to carry him, regardless of God's purpose or will or word. Eli, Hoffman Phineas, spiritual leaders of the land, made no objection apparently had not taught them the word of God, the law of Moses, about the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant and what it meant that God had designated it for a special place. 
that his presence in a special way would be with his people. And it was to be, it was to be a thing of worship, a thing of salvation, a thing of divine presence and protection. But Israel was so far away from the word of God at this point in time, they had become weakened within themselves. And so the people, how can, how can they do this? The people decide that they're just going to go in there and grab God, take the box, and God's just going to have to go with them and he's going to have to do what they expect him to do. And here they are in disobedience, they're in disarray, and they're not spiritual at all. They're humiliated, first of all, because of their own weakness, the internal inherent weakness of God. Because they did not follow nor did they revere God or his word. That was not uppermost in their minds. They put God in a box. People do that. They put God in a box. They declare that God will do things for them and they may, they may be so far in left field spiritually. They may be so out of touch with the word of God. They make no effort to understand, to seek the word of God, to obey the word of God. God to them was in a box. And wherever they took that box, they would carry God with them and God would have to do what they wanted him to do. Not only were they humiliated, they were powerless. It is so pathetic. And we see it so much today. God's people are powerless. Why? Well, we get our lesson from this whole account in these two chapters. The enemy overcame the people of God. And they were so afraid that they left the box on the field. They ran. It was every man for himself. It was a... It was a theology of me and nothing else. And they just left the box on the field. Obviously, not so concerned now about God. Now, they became powerless because of this. And this was their fundamental error. They thought God was in the box. Now, the ark had a, a wonderful and special meaning, but only in its place, only in the designated way of worship, which God had designed in his law, and only through the high priest, by the way and design that God had given, and not any other way. This is how you come to me. This is how you worship me. This is, this is how you are to be presented to me with reverence and obedience and understanding. Their fundamental error was they thought God was in the box. Too often people of God think too little of God. There's, 
aside from the way that God presents and describes himself in his word, there is no other way to describe him. He's, he's so far above and beyond who we are or anything that we can think about. He's not in a box. He's not even in any kind of way that we can imagine other than the way he teaches us in his word how he is to us. And that is what causes us to worship him. They thought God was in the box. Now, let me tell you something. When the people of God begin to limit God, so will the enemies of God. Oh, you don't think he's the greatest thing around? Now the Philistines also think that God's in the box. And with God in the box and with the box in their possession, not only have they defeated Israel, they defeated the God of Israel. They're greater than Egypt. When the people of God limit the power of God, the enemies of God will do the same thing. Because God only has his people, you see. Now, this emboldens the enemy when the people of God have a diminished view of God. Our enemies are emboldened. In chapter 4, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant onto the battlefield, the Israelites were happy because of the box. But now in chapter 5, Israel having lost the box, the Philistines having gained the box, no longer is Israel happy. They are defeated. They are running away. They left the box on the field. In chapter 5, the Philistines are happy. The enemies of God's people now are the ones who are happy. They begin to have Israel's thoughts about the God of Israel. If we don't understand God and we don't, we're not rooted firmly in the word of God and we don't have a clear understanding of who God is as he reveals himself in the word, we, we can never carry that with us in our lives and present the greatness of God to other people. If we think that God is limited in any way, then we surrender influence. We surrender education. We surrender music. We surrender everything to the enemy. Because now he's not so great to us. He's in the box. And if the box is not here and hasn't done what we expected the box to do, then the enemy thinks that, well, we have the box now. So the enemy begins to have the thoughts that Israel had about God. Israel's lucky charm became 
a trophy to the Philistines. This is what they were thinking. If we have Israel's box, we have Israel's God. Well, okay. However, Yahweh is sovereign. I mistransliterated that. Yahweh. Oh, well. Without hands or feet, without an army, without anything else, Dagon fell before Yahweh. Dagon became powerless before Yahweh. The next time he fell, he lost his head and his hands. He couldn't think and he couldn't work, at least as far as those who would regard an idol as something other than what it is, just a piece of material from the earth. Without any hands, without any visible hands or head of his own, the Philistines began to catch on to what was happening. The great God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel doesn't need anything. He didn't have to have anybody. He just made, Dagon was automatically power, powerless before Yahweh. Now this comes from Isaiah 46, verse 7. He's speaking of the idols of Babylon. He says, they bear it on the shoulder, they carry it, and they put it in its place, and it stands, and from its place it does not move. It's like putting it on a shelf. Yea, he cries to it, it doesn't answer. And from his distress, it does not save him. It's powerless. An idol is nothing. It has no power. The only power an idol has is the power that we give it. We invest it. We, you know, and we're like this, okay? Well, our, our idol fell. I'm just going to pick it and put it, I'm going to dust it off, put it back up on the shelf. That's how we do with our idols. When we're given over to idols and idolatry in our lives, and the word of God is this. This thing can't do anything for you. It can't hear you, can't move, has no power. It only has power because you think it does and you invest yourself in that thing and you give it power over you. That's what the word of God says. Number five, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need me. We've heard it said, and I understand that often it is said innocently, however, we've heard it said, well, we're the hands of God. We're the feet of God. No, we're not. God doesn't need us at all. He shows it to be so in this story. God does not need us. It's called the aseity of God. 
The all-inclusiveness of God. God can do whatever he, he is within himself, all-powerful. He doesn't need a thing. He uses us so that we can grow in the power that he would extend to us, but he doesn't need us. God doesn't need us at all. He had no arms, he didn't have a head, but he defeated Dagon without any help at all. In chapter four, he toppled the pitiful leaders of Israel with none to help him. Samuel was a prophet, but the people did not call for Samuel to come upon the scene. Nor did God send Samuel into the scene. God would use the event of the events, the two, the two battles of chapter four, to accomplish his purpose, namely to put an end to the judges of Israel and put an end to the pitiful, wicked leadership that had developed in Israel. He didn't need any help to do that. God did it himself. Then in chapter five, he toppled the Philistines without any help at all. So let me rush through this. Here are some takeaways for us today. When we fail as God's people, it's because of our weakness. There is some inherent weakness within us. We have not walked humbly with our God. We have not reverenced him. We have not worshiped him. We have not respected him. We have not, we have not placed him into the high and lofty place where he is. We haven't placed him there in our hearts. We have, we have abandoned worship and the word. This is what happened to Israel in those days. Our attitude and weakness about God will lead our enemies to think the same thing. When the church withdraws, from, here's, the, here's the intimidating world. Put that Bible down. Don't wear that Jesus shirt. You can't tell people about Christ here. When they intimidate us and we surrendered that to them, we do it because we think our God is weak. Weaker than those who are intimidating us. And our enemies will begin to think the same thing about God that we do. God ain't going to do nothing about this. Because God's people aren't bold enough to do anything about it. The world will gladly accept our surrender and capture our box. Makes them happy. Well, this to me is what I think of God. And this is as far as I can go with it. The world will take it from there. And the world will be happy to take our denials to deny the Bible. To deny salvation in Christ alone. To deny the truth that God is creator and judge and provides a savior for us. And when his people deny 
his absolute sovereignty over everything. The world will be happy to accept those denials and they'll take it from there. This is what Israel learned here in chapters 4 and 5 of 1 Samuel. I'm going to stop there. We'll pick it up there, God willing, the next time and we'll have our deacon prayer time.